Saving money on your outdoor project? Now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. Handoff, run the ball, Fournette slashes it away to the 40, to the 35, to the 30, to the 30, 25, to the 20, Fournette to the 10, 5, 3, 2, 1, touchdown Tampa Bay, run the ball, Leonard Fournette. Wow, what a blast, up the gut, found daylight, and outran everybody, fire the cannons, get them going. This is the Big Nasty, yeah, Big Nasty, Hall of Fame Tampa Bay Buccaneer fan, baby. This is Mike Allstott, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you're listening to the Cannon Fire Podcast. Cannon Fire Podcast, brother. You ain't listening, and you're missing out. Woo! Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new edition of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Back at you today for episode 130. Happy Victory Monday, Bucks fan. First one of the season. Feels damn good. And at this point, all I gotta say, 1-1 one one feels a hell of a lot better than 0-2. We've got an action-packed show for you today. If you hadn't heard, the Buccaneers take down the Carolina Panthers 31-17. In their home opener, Brett Favre was there. That was kind of weird. But we've got a great show lined up for you today. Welcome back. I am your host, as always, Rhett Matthew. Joined alongside me, my good buddy and co-host, the Philly Bucks fan himself, Mr. Evan Wanish. Evan, happy Victory Monday, brother. Yeah, um, thank God they are a 1-1 one one because... You look at like statistics. Zero and two seems to be the the kiss of death for any playoff berth, even with expanded playoffs this year. So, you definitely didn't want to be be zero and two and in that spot. So they're in a in a solid spot now. And joining us on the show today, a guy who's been on the show so many times, he doesn't really need an introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. Representing the Draft Network, Mister Trevor Sikama. Trevor, welcome back, man. Thanks guys for having me. Y'all are up to what? 130 podcasts now? That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's that's very cool. Congratulations on uh, getting that far. That's a long-standing podcast in, in in podcast world. Hey, hell yeah. Much appreciated, man. We're chipping away. I mean, we're dropping two episodes a week, so hopefully we'll be at like I don't know, 150 something maybe by the time the season's over, but I guess we just have to wait and see. So we've got a lot to unpack. First and foremost, I think this is what a lot of people were expecting when the Bucks took the field week one. You know, they came out, and first off, the defense set the tone of this entire game. I mean, that first half was everything you could have asked them to do, and maybe a little bit more. 21-0, to heading into halftime, and um, those defensive takeaways definitely had something to do with it. But it also wouldn't be Buccaneers football if it didn't get a little uncomfortable right around the third quarter. So it's definitely something that we have seen from this team before, uh, but Evan, what are your overall thoughts on this team's performance last Sunday? Man, I'll tell you what. 
and I think I think Trevor can can attest to this as well. This had Giants game 2019 written all over it to me, you know. And I know Trevor. I think you covered that game. I'm pretty yeah, sure. I did. Yep. I did. Were, 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 were you you were there for that game? Oh you? yeah. Oh yeah. I, yeah. I was there. Um. So you know exactly what I'm talking about. I know Rhett knows what I'm talking about. Different circumstances, but it just man, late in the third quarter, you could just kind of feel it, and it didn't feel great. And it seemed like you've been there before. It seemed like the same exact story. Mike Evans with a dominant first half. The offense looks unstoppable. The defense has been holding them. Even I mean, versus the Giants game, they didn't pitch a shutout in the first half, so it was even better. And then the Panthers just start coming back. But luckily, this Bucks team was able to close the door, and the defense stepped up again. So I, I think you're, you're looking at two straight games now for the defense that had very solid performances. I, I think – uh, the performance yesterday was a bit worse than than New Orleans, uh, just because they they did give up a few chunk plays where they really didn't in New Orleans, but they were able to make up for it because they got four takeaways. So, um, Bucks pr- played pretty clean football, a lot less penalties, a lot less dumb mistakes. Uh, you know, Brady had that pick and then that that one fumble that's that's on Ronald Jones probably. I, I think even though it credits Brady with the turnover. Uh, but, I mean, other than that, hey, I mean, it was pretty much – I mean, the first half was smooth sailing, and then the second half got a little scare, but they were able to to compose themselves. Carlton Davis came up with that big pick, and they were able to get the job done. So, And, you know, their kicker this time made all of his kicks, so this was definitely not going to be like the Giants game. So, little moment of silence for that one. Uh, I mean, it's it's hard to reminisce. You know, it it really is. I I still get the win taken out of me when I look back at replays just because it was a perfect scenario for Mac A to go in there and get the job done. We're not going to spend much time talking about it. But what I saw from this team on Sunday, obviously not a finished product. You know, we've kind of talked about this team building chemistry and they're taking steps to get there. I think a big story coming out of Sunday's game were all the drops. There were like seven or eight dropped passes. And I think Bruce Arian said in his press conference it was worth about 120, 125 passing yards. And, I mean, there were three touchdowns that were dropped. You just can't drop that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? This is a much different game for Brady in particular if those drops don't happen. So not a finished product on the on the field for the Bucks, but definitely a big step taken from week one to week two. And I think you look ahead at these next two games, based off of the way things look right now, this is the perfect time to just kind of – fine-tune the chemistry that this team has. And, I mean, Trevor, what are your thoughts on Sunday and, and your impressions of this team? Yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest, the team wasn't that much different than what it was in New Orleans. In New Orleans in week one, they were just playing a better team. And I, it was it was kind of strange to watch people freak out as much as they did after the New Orleans loss because, you know, I understand there was a lot of hype in the offseason. And some of it was... Some of it was playful, you know. People were already, yeah, I, I, myself included. I, I've I've talked about like them basically just hand over the Super Bowl now, you know, per editions, and you know we're having a little bit of fun with that because Bucks media and Bucks fans haven't really been able to do that in quite some time. So we were having some fun, but look, I picked Tampa to lose New Orleans. You know, I even I even I picked Tampa to lose out in the division race to New Orleans this season. Like this season, I still think New Orleans is the stronger team. Next season, I really do think is the Bucks year. This year, I think they're going to be good. That's not to say totally right off this year they're not going to be good. 
this year I do think that they're going to be good. But you look at week one to week two, they were just playing a better team, and people were freaking out. Like they 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 didn't beat the Saints, and sure there were things that you wish didn't happen, the two interceptions. But you never know how a game script is going to end up happening. And man, it just felt like people were overblowing a lot. The Buccaneers had one. had buyers or buyers remorse. Would you say? Oh, oh my goodness, that was <laughs> that was uh, yeah. Um, bad. Uh, that's, I just, week one, they were playing a superior team and they should have lost and they did week two. They're playing not nearly as talented of a team. They're able to neutralize Carolina. They get the win this, this year, I think is going to be all about beating the teams that you should beat. And that's something that the bucks have really, really failed to do for a long time. Evan, you brought up the giants game and saying that this had flashbacks to that. Well, the whole reason why you go out and you get a guy like Tom Brady as opposed to Jameis Winston, I mean, whose arm is better? Probably Jameis Winston's. Who could probably throw you more touchdowns in a season? Probably Jameis Winston. But the thought is that you're not going to have somebody who loses games that you should win for you. And for a while, that was Jameis's narrative. Now, he had some incredible comebacks to him as well. But when you look at games like this past Sunday, a big reason why they bring in a guy like Brady and why they brought in a lot of the players that they did, both on offense and defense, is because you have to be able to win the games that you're supposed to win. When you're more talented than the other team, when you're supposed to be able to put up more points than the other team, you have to be able to do it, and you've got to be able to come up with Ws. And the Bucks just have not been able to do that for the last two to three years. So this past Sunday has honestly been what this entire offseason has been about. They're not going to come in and... Well, I mean, I guess this could happen for a couple of weeks, but I don't think the Bucks are going to come in this year and really just steamroll people. Like, it's not even close. They might have a couple on their schedule where they look pretty dominant, but you look at this Carolina game. That game was in hand most of the game. They pretty much controlled Carolina, and yet there were times that it felt like Carolina was getting momentum back. And I just think that that's going to be the narrative of the season. But the big difference between this Bucks team and Bucks teams of the past is that on these games, when they are still more talented, they're still going to come away with wins. And so that was my biggest takeaway from, from the Carolina game is that it was, it was back and forth, but the Bucks pretty much controlled it, and they did what they needed to do against an inferior opponent. And we just really, we have not seen that from the Bucks in a long time. My old boss over at Peterport, Scott Reynolds, he used to talk about back in like the Super Bowl era, you know, like early 2000s. He would drive up to the stadium, and he was still working for Peter Report at the time. He would drive up to the stadium wondering not whether or not the Bucks would win, but by how much. It was simply a matter of how much they were going to beat their opponent. And even in instances in the past where Tampa should have been able to go into a Sunday matchup and say that over the last two or three years, when that offense was as good as it was, that's never really been the case. They're hoping that this regime, this roster makeup, all of that brings them that kind of consistency where it's just like, hey, we're getting a win this week. We're better than this team. Sure, it's the NFL. I get it. It's grown men on the other side of the line scrimmage and on the other sideline. But you've got to be able to beat the teams that are inferior to you. And I think that that's what Tampa just did on Sunday. It almost seems like we've been saying it for years. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. You've just got to beat the teams that you're better than. And this Bucks team is finally a position where you look at the Carolina game. We talked about it on our pregame show. And I, we kind of came to the consensus that, like, look, you know, if the Bucks lose this game for whatever reason, then obviously there's going to be some real evaluation that needs to be done. Like, there's going to be bigger problems than just a couple of mistakes or a couple of drops in the end zone like we saw on Sunday. 
I wanted to get in. I wanted to get into some stat lines from Sunday's game. So let's go ahead and open things up with our quarterback, Mr. Tom Brady. His stat line looks like this for the day: twenty-three for thirty-five attempt, twenty two hundred and seventeen yards, one touchdown, and one interception. Kind of talked about it earlier. Wanted to touch on it again one more time. But the narrative of Tom Brady's day is all those dropped passes. I mean, this is a much different looking stat line if Scotty Miller doesn't have a costly drop in the end zone. If Shady doesn't have a costly it's drop in the end zone. Four passing touchdowns, right? Say yeah, four passing touchdowns. It's four passing touchdowns as they catch all those balls. Yeah, it's seven drops. Seven drops. You heard Bruce say it in his press conference over 100 yards receiving. So, I mean, it, it's, it counts. It counts a lot. But I will say... Brady was definitely serviceable, right? He didn't lose us the game this week. No, he didn't. And I, I, I'll kind of go off of what Bruce said. When the game was over, I went back and I looked at just the three obvious touchdown catches. Because, you know, the couple of other catches, like the Gronk one over in the middle middle of the field, the O.J. Howard one as well, those are kind of like in the middle of the drive. So Do we want to bring up even Surreal if, Grayson's too? Oh, no, no, no. I'm going to bring that in a second. I'm going to bring that up in a second. But, like, if, if you if you try to say, like, oh, well, if Gronk count, caught his pass or if O.J. Howard caught his pass, those are in the middle of drive, so you don't exactly know what the stats would be beyond that. You know, because it's like, okay, they, can, they, they catch that pass, they convert. Well, we don't exactly know what the future would have held if they would have got the ball to that point. But if you just take the three catches that should have been guaranteed touchdowns, to end of the drives, McCoy's drop, uh, Grayson's drop, and Miller's drop. Brady's new stat line, I went back and I did the math, both adding those positive yards and then also subtracting anything that Brady had after that. He would have been 26 or 35, 293 passing yards, and four passing touchdowns. So, I mean, like, that's that's a much better day. If you go into it just thinking about that without the drops, we're sitting here talking about Tom Brady and not just us talking about Tom Brady. First take, get up. Every major radio station is talking about Tom Brady of old now being in Tampa Bay with that stat line, if it looks that different. And it's just a matter of drops. So I think you have to be really encouraged by Brady. Now, there were a couple of times where I felt like the ball was a little bit wobbly on him or I felt like he was a little short on the velocity when it came to some of the deeper passes, which... Somewhat concerning, although I've been on the train where I took a look at his 2019 film and I said his arm was plenty strong, and I still think that's the case, although I did kind of notice that a little bit more against Carolina. I was like, you can tell Brady can get the ball down the field, but it's certainly not like he's throwing that bad boy on a rope or anything like that. You just got to understand kind of where he is in his career right now. I think it's he's still plenty strong, but it's just not going to be a big zip like we've seen in the past. Well, I'll tell you about a zip. I'll, it's a shame that Shady dropped that ball because, man, I mean, he did a great job to That's avoid true. Brian Burns. I was rushing on the run, just delivered a perfect pass, and I thought it was caught. I didn't realize that he dropped it at first until like a second, and I saw McCoy fall down, then had the ball. I was like, you're kidding. Like, that would have been like Tom Brady's best throw yet. Obviously, yeah. it's just two games, but just a beautiful ball. And I still don't have concerns about his arm strength. I mean, I'm sure you watched the New Orleans game. I think he showed in that game that he can get the ball right. you know, down the field. Um, on the, I think the, the one that really stands out to me is the flea flicker to Justin Watson. But when you look at it, he doesn't grab the laces. And I think Bruce even said that today that that sort of hindered it a little bit because I think they were just trying to get 
get it out as quick as possible. So I, I feel like if he can grab the laces, that's probably a touchdown. But that was like the biggest one to me where, um, you know, it was sort of like, uh, like, yeah, like that should have been a touchdown. But I mean, right. You, if you lead him, it's a touchdown. But yeah. hey, if he, if he didn't have the laces, you're right. You're not going to be as comfortable slinging it as, as you would have if you had a proper grip on it. No doubt. And I mean, yeah, I mean, and, and you know, so on the, the Scotty Miller drop, the Bucks ended up scoring a touchdown anyway. So, yeah, it's not for Brady, but they scored a touchdown, whatever. On the Shady McCoy drop, they end up kicking a field goal. So that's three points, but you could add four more. And then on the Cyril Grayson one, they ended up punting. So they got no points there. I mean, this could be this could have been a flat blowout if, I mean, if they turned both those into touchdowns. I mean, you're talking about over a 40-point day for the Bucks, and you're talking about a much different style game of where Carolina right. never had a chance. Right. I mean, I believe if if Grayson catches that ball, it's twenty eight to seven at that point because it was already twenty one to seven. So I mean, yeah, it's I, I'm glad that you went back and you looked at that and added the totals because yeah, it would make Brady's day a whole lot different. Um, I want to ask you a quick question because Brady's interception, mm-hmm. it was thrown to a guy you wouldn't expect to be intercepted when he's throwing to him. It was to Gronkowski. I have been very concerned with what I've seen from Gronkowski recently from, through two games. To me, it looks like he's just a, a shell of himself, just like how he did in that Super Bowl, really. Um, what are your thoughts on, on Gronk, and do you think this is something that he can sort of turn it on midseason? Is it going to take a little bit, or what, what, do, what do you think? Uh, you know, Gronk's a weird cat. So maybe it is just like he's got to get beat up a little bit to get back into that kind of like football mindset. But I am starting to be concerned about what he is like as an athlete because, look, the the drop pass by Gronk over the middle, he's he was brought to Tampa to catch that pass, that yep. exact pass. Got that bailed out by of, DPI, too. That kind been, of—oh, yeah, it shouldn't have been at, at all. He's just got to catch the ball. Brady put that on his hands in such a tight window that he has thrown to Gronk so many times over the years, and Gronk just straight up dropped it. And you didn't see—the thing that bothered me the most there is that Gronkowski has been one of the best tight ends in the NFL during his time that he's been playing, perhaps even the best tight end of all time when you look at a lot of the stats that he's had in his prime, because it just seems like— he comes up with catches that you just never expect him to get. And when that's the case with him, you can't have him dropping those kind of easy ones that are over the middle. Now, like, I, I get it. It was a tight window. There was some hand contact, whatever. But, like, he was brought here to Tampa to catch that pass, mm-hmm. that exact pass. And so if he's not catching that, you've got to be a little bit concerned. I'll say that as an athlete, yeah, I'm getting a little bit worried about him because he clearly just doesn't seem to have the necessary gear that you really want from him. As and he a blocker, was never a burner, really. He was no, never really he, that type he of wasn't. He, he's, he's a super awkward runner even, mm-hmm. too. But, you know, that's the thing is that you know also Gronk made a big living off of contested catches. You know, like this is his bread and butter. He's not a super big separator. Like you just said, Evan, he doesn't have a ton of – quick hit acceleration, but it was when he was getting in stride, when you were getting him vertical or getting him horizontal and there was still a linebacker on his hip or somewhere near him, he was just coming up with a catch. He was just being bigger and stronger than the guy next to him who was trying to cover him. And if if he's not that for Tampa, then his usage is it, it, it's, it's really it's really a lot less than what they would have 
thought that it to be. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure what words I was trying to come up with there, but just like the expectation of what he could have been with Brady, if he can't even get to the spot is not where it needs to be. And you've started, you've got to start leaning more on OJ Howard than if that's the case. And so we'll see, maybe it is just a Gronk's got to get hit a little bit and he's got to get more into football shape because you know, no preseason limited, uh, um, limited training camp. I mean, that's a big deal, but hasn't played football in a year. It's, it's yeah, a so, factor for sure. Right. So I think that it's, it's to be determined. I wouldn't say you give up on him right now. I think he's been physical as a blocker, you know, from week one, I haven't gone back and seen the all 22 of this game, but I liked what I saw from him as a blocker in week one. And so like, that's all still there. I just wonder if he's the athlete they want him to be as a receiving tight end. You definitely would love to see Gronk develop back into, you know, a, a former version of himself um but i i guess it just does kind of open things up for oj howard you know i look for oj howard i'd like to see cam Bray be used a little bit more by the way i've barely really seen him since the season started um but oj howard definitely fills that athletic slot and i guess at the end of the day if gronk doesn't step it up then you just paid 10 million dollars a year for an extra blocker on the line so it is what it is but there's another stat line I wanted to look at from this offense on Sunday, and I think everybody saw this one coming from a mile away. It's Mr. Leonard Fournette, 12 carries, 103 yards, and two touchdowns. I mean, this is a sight for sore eyes for most Buccaneer fans to look at the stat sheet in the box score and see a 100-yard rusher. Now, let's As keep it in mind. Since what, 2016, I think? Let's keep in mind that Leonard Fournette was kept fresh. I mean, you saw Ronald Jones do most of the nitty-gritty through the first two and a half, three quarters of the game, and when that defense of Carolina was absolutely just tired, they unleashed a fresh Leonard Fournette, and it ultimately paid off. He sealed the deal with a clutch touchdown at the end for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but obviously with Fournette having the performance that he had, the discussion is going to come up. Should Leonard Fournette be the running back one of this team moving forward. Now, personally, I'm not quick to move Fournette around. I mean, Bruce said in his press conference today that he likes the way the running back room is set up. And as of next week, it's going to be that same formation with Ronald Jones as your running back one, Fournette at two, and obviously Shady is your third down, number three. Forgettable day for Shady on Sunday, by the way. Let me just throw that in there. But back to Leonard Fournette. What happens if he gets 100 yards again next week and Ronald Jones just doesn't show up? Is it is it kind of natural at that point to move him into that position? Like, what is the, I guess, the threshold for Leonard Fournette? Because, again, the purpose, the way that they used him on Sunday, I really enjoy. I love watching him close games out. Like, we talked about that before the season started when they signed Leonard Fournette. I'd love to see him be a closer because the Bucs haven't had a dominant closing running back in a while. But... What happens if he just shows up again next week? Like, Trevor, when do you think we should be more concerned about Leonard Fournette taking Ronald Jones' job? Well, I don't. Uh, when should we be concerned? Um, now. <laughs> I think I think uh, Ronald I Jones, yeah. Look, Ronald Jones right, should be concerned. So, I know you had a tweet. The Ronald, how was the Ronald Jones era or whatever? <laughs> <like> that. Right. <laughs> Right. That was that was another one that I kind of sent out there just to, you know, poke at people. But look, it's it's clear that you're seeing a lot more NFL teams nowadays use their running backs almost like a pitching rotation throughout a game in baseball. You know, you talked about Leonard Fournette being a closer, and I don't think people people don't process run game strategies the same way that we would for like a pitching strategy in baseball, but that really might just be what it is. And kind of in the response to the Ronald Jones tweet, I said like, 
hey, it could be different every single week. You know, like they have Shady, they have Fournette, they have Ronald Jones. It could be any one of those guys really showing up and helping out the game plan every week. But, I mean, let's face it. Fournette took his 12 carries for over 100 yards. Ronald Jones took his seven carries for 23. You know, um, LaShawn McCoy was second on the team in targets with seven. I know there was no Chris Godwin, but it's like they went to lean on him with seven targets. Fournette had five. You know, yeah. so it's like Ronald Jones is getting outsnapped, outgained in the run game, uh, out-targeted, out-caught. So, like, where, where are we really with Ronald Jones? Ronald Jones, and the reason why I said that is not to necessarily say, like, hey, Ronald Jones is done, they're not going to play him anymore. But I made sure to put the word feature in that tweet because where I do think that there's a role for Ronald Jones on this team, it's clear He's not going to be this bell cow feature RB1. It's clear. It's just, it's going to be a rotation that will look different every week. There will be, I think, multiple weeks in this season where Ronald Jones rushes for 100 yards. I think that's I think that's going to be at least one. But I think that it's going to be the case where he just starts out of the gate hot. They're playing, again, an inferior team. They, they keep going with the hot hand up until the fourth quarter when they really give the ball to Leonard Fournette. And Ronald Jones' box course could, could be great. But that's not something that's going to carry, at least I don't think, week to week in the season. They're not just going to heavily lean on him no matter what. It's going to be a big rotation. So I still think Ronald Jones has a place on this Buccaneers team. But it's not nearly what fantasy football people maybe hoped that it was going to be with him getting 15, 20-ish kind of touches between run and pass game every week. It's just not going to happen anymore. Yeah, and I mean... To, to me, if I look at, let's say they go into Denver and it's the same game plan. All right, we're going to have Fournette as this closing type and we're going to start Jones. And let's say, you know, Jones sort of has another lackluster day. Let's say maybe not causes a turnover because I don't think that helped this case either. But, I mean, maybe he just has a, you know, a 10 carries for 35-yard day. And then, you know, is that good enough? And then Fournette comes in, and let's say the Bucks are up by 10, and Fournette seals a deal with a couple of nice runs, and he goes for 60 yards on 11 carries. I think it would start to creep into Bruce's mind to, to play Fournette more. I do agree that they want a rotation. I mean, I, I guess... To me, LaShawn McCoy, what I thought was the best receiving back on this team, but Leonard Fournette looked much better than him uh, on on Sunday. I thought he was much more natural with it. Uh, he just looked like a, a natural fit there. Uh, so I think maybe they'll want to get him involved a little bit. I was one of the guys that said, like, Fournette's not a pass-catching back. Like, I just didn't. Like, he caught 76 balls in Jacksonville last year, but, like, him and DJ Chark were the Jacksonville offense. So mm -hmm. I, I thought that was sort of a, a product of that. But, man, I do agree with you, Trevor, that you said Jones has a spot on this team. And I think when you look at a lot of NFL teams, like you said, you look at the 49ers last year. I mean, Matt Breida and Mostert and Coleman. I mean, right. all three of those guys got significant touches down the stretch and in the playoffs and the Super Bowl, everything. So, yeah, I mean, I think it would be smart to – to really do a rotation, keep these guys fresh. Uh, I mean, obviously, Keyshawn Vaughn is a complete non-factor this season. So I, I don't think, I mean, I think Jones is lucky that he really, uh, Vaughn didn't start off hot because, I mean, then you could be talking about Vaughn taking some of his carries. And right. I know 
it doesn't really seem like they have any faith really in McCoy taking any carries out of the backfield. Uh, they did it once, um, I believe in New Orleans or once or twice in New Orleans and then once in Carolina or I mean versus Carolina. And it was when Donovan Smith was out and Josh Wells just got blown up. It was a loss of five. So they didn't go back to that. Um, but you know, I, I think you have your your two your two backs that can catch the ball kind of in Fournette and McCoy. I think Fournette can also carry the ball, but I, I think Ronald Jones. I'd like to see him involved in the screen game a little bit more. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, I like him still, but I do agree. I think he's proving to you right now that he's just not a guy you can hand the ball off to twenty five times a game and say, "Hey, right. go get it done." I just don't right. think he's that guy. I agree. Yeah, and, and I mean, this running back rotation, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. But at the end of the day, if one of those three guys is producing, then it makes the job a lot easier for the rest of the offense. I mean, we've talked right. before about the importance of a run game. It almost just makes everything else easier. And I want to say that, too. Like, I think we often, you know, when we talk about this Buccaneers team, a lot of people get caught up in a hostility angle of it like like oh if this guy is not producing the way that he's supposed to then like we're mad about how the running back room is looking but in reality it i mean this could be perfect you start jones he could play well maybe if he doesn't then you've got leonard fournette there and maybe it's a game where fournette's getting more carries into the second quarter or late in the first half Maybe, you know, it's, it's like a long closer kind of a night for for a baseball team if the starting pitcher's not doing too well. But on the other hand, if your starting pitcher, if Ronald Jones, is having a good game, you got him going all the way into the third, even into the fourth quarter before you start really rotating things and getting those super fresh legs for Fournette in there. So where it might not look exactly the way we thought it was going to with Tampa Bay, that doesn't even necessarily mean that it's a bad thing. It just looks a little bit different. And clearly the running game was what it needed to be against Carolina. You just hope that continues to be the case against, like we talked about earlier, those lesser teams, because that's when controlling the ball, controlling the clock, having time of possession is a lot more important. Now, if they start playing a team where, Hey, they should really be handling this game and the none of their running backs can continue to pick up first downs. Now we've got a problem. We don't have that problem yet for Tampa. And so as of right now, it's kind of just a strategy that says, hey, we've got fresh legs. We're rotating them. We're using them. And that's how it looks. Most definitely. So very interesting to see how this running back trio plays out for the rest of the season. But we'll definitely be watching closely next week. We've covered the offense. Let's talk about the other side of the ball because that has absolutely been the strong point of this Buccaneers football team. Four takeaways. And what seemed like endless pressure on Teddy Bridgewater is basically what made this game 21-0 at halftime last Sunday. The Bucks held Christian McCaffrey under wraps for the most part. He finished with only 59 yards on the ground and 29 receiving. And a couple of stat lines from some of the best players on Sunday. Devin White, 12 tackles. The leading tackler in the NFL, by the way, with 26 over two weeks. Insane. Eight solo tackles. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And Indomitian Sue. Another big stat line, five tackles and two sacks for Indomitian Sue. You know, I know know we've talked before about Sue. I know a lot of people give him slack, and I know personally I've given him slack for taking plays off. I'm not his biggest fan. I know, Evan, you're not his biggest fan, but he definitely showed up when it mattered on Sunday. And, um, Trevor, I wanted to ask you, this defense as a whole is humming, but what's impressed you the most? Is there a certain player or just something that they've done well that's really taken this defense to another level? I would certainly say 
the secondary. And mm. I, I, you know, when you looked at the secondary last year, and people had kind of written the Bucks off at that point, and so they didn't realize that in the second half of this 2019 season, the Bucks were a top five defensive football. Those Remember young when the guys NFL were, ranked them 32 of all the secondary groups a little earlier? Yeah, yeah it was like three um, weeks ago. Look, it just shows it, it just goes to show you that like people don't pay attention in Tampa Bay, right? I mean, like Tom Brady got all the headlines. They talked about Godwin, they talked about Mike Evans, they talked about Ronald Jones and Fournette and all these guys, but they didn't bother to watch and look at how, like I just said, second half of twenty nineteen, this is one of the best defenses in football. They were a top five unit, even with all of that youth that they were starting. So you figured that there was a chance for them to all take a step forward this season, but I really didn't think that it would be this good this quick i mean sean murphy bunting has been fantastic whether they've been playing him outside or inside as a versatile guy who could be a nickel carlton davis man is is proving everybody who bet on him correct as one of the shutdown players in the nfl when he clamped up deandre hopkins last year really actually you know what i'm gonna go back even further that tennessee titans game that he played in the middle of the season they didn't win that game but my goodness, did I think that Carlton Davis had a, a, a true arrival to a CB1 type of mold in that game. He went on for the rest of that season. I mentioned the DeAndre Hopkins game. He comes out in week one, plays against Michael Thomas, gives Michael Thomas fits in New Orleans, a place that he is very comfortable and often carves the bucks up in week two. Same thing, man. I felt like he was lights out for most of the game for what he needed to be until Carolina kind of uh, was able to get a couple of shots in there later in the game. But beyond them, even the secondary group, Jordan Whitehead put on even more weight this offseason. He's still flying around. He's still got that speed. He is throwing his body at ball carriers. He's never afraid to lay a hit on anybody. And then Antoine Winfield Jr. Oh. He is one of the players that I said to my editor very early on in that Bucks game, I am doing an article an all 22 article on Antoine Winfield Jr. this week. And so I'm doing that later this week for the draft network purposefully because he is not playing like a rookie. He mm. is stepping into that role. And I think something I'm going to explain in greater detail, when you say playing like a rook, like playing like a rookie or playing like a, a vet, to me, a big part of that is often play speed because when you don't have a lot of snaps or games under your belt, you are naturally I don't even want to say second guessing, just not 100% confident in what's going on. And therefore, you're not going to put your foot in the ground as aggressive as you were before. You're not going to take that angle that you know your speed can get, but it's a it's a risky angle to take. You're not going to go for this ball in a certain way that could come up with a turnover or something like that because you're going to you're going to be a little bit reserved just cuz you haven't seen it before that's natural that that goes along with almost everything in life not just football when you don't have a ton of confidence you're just not always putting your best foot forward Antoine Winfield Jr is flying at a game speed that is like he is 3 or 4 years in the league right now now he is still making mistakes that rookies make for example that uh that little pitch play to Christian McCaffrey on fourth and two that got Carolina into the end zone I know that Antoine Winfield Jr. saw the sack with Teddy Bridgewater right there. And even if Devin White could have been a fill-in player behind him to potentially get to Christian McCaffrey, if Winfield Jr. would have stayed square, stayed right in front of Christian McCaffrey, they know Teddy Bridgewater can't scramble to pick up those two yards. But that's something that Antoine Winfield Jr. is going to see on the tape, and I believe that that's going to be something that he's going to take 
with him that he's going to improve upon because right now he's flying around there and I could not be more impressed with what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, all we talked, all we heard during the limited training camp was how Antoine Winfield didn't look like a rookie. And all the coaches, you know, you thought a lot of it was coach speak, right? Oh, this guy, he's he's yeah, right, good. He doesn't, right. you know, he's a, he's doing great. Uh, that that's what you always hear every year. But this year, I mean, man, I mean, the Bucks two fir- first two rookies, Tristan Wirfs and Antoine Winfield. I'm not sure if you could ask for a better start from both of them, yep. uh, because I mean, both have just looked fantastic, and they're I mean, they're a big reason why. You know, this team right now is is where they're at, especially on, on defense and on offense. I mean, right tackle is just such a hole. I mean, I, I like DeMar Dotson, but for the last two years or so, I mean, you, you saw it, Trevor. I mean, DeMar just wasn't the same player. And he's he just, just getting couldn't. old. He's yeah, just getting old. It happens. And now he's actually on Denver, who the, the Bucks are facing this week. So, yep. Um, and then, yeah, Antoine Winfield just all over the place. And I think Carolina has had a really good play call on that touchdown. Um, I mean, yeah, he did make a mistake, but I really loved the play call. I just, there, I just sort of tipped the, the cap to the opponent sometimes, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, you talk about Carlson Davis and the thing that impressed me the most with him, and honestly, the most underwhelming one really quick before I get into that has been Jamel Dean. And he's the one I think was sort of the most potential to be a top cornerback on a team. So, I mean, he's got the speed, the height and everything. So kind of surprised me that he's been a little up and down. Um, but Carlton Davis, you know, he said that earlier in the game, they had run that same play that he got the pick on. They had run it with DJ Moore and he got beat on it and it was a catch. And I went back and I saw the play. It was, yeah, it was just a DJ Moore just ran right across the middle. He was in motion and he just ran and caught the ball for a 16 17 yard gain and davis said that he recognized that they were in motion again and he guessed that it was the same route and boom a poorly thrown ball and now you got a pick and that's something that trevor covered the first two years of his career the dude had one pick yeah in in two two years i mean this dude was not a ball hawk that was something that i was really worried about with carlton davis because even if even as he was getting better throughout his rookie season and his sophomore season he just wasn't finding the football. And to me, if you can't get takeaways, you'll never be a CB1. You know, like you, you will always have to try to find an upgrade to get a guy who is a lockdown player who can get you takeaways. That was telling me that he, I thought that Carlton Davis was at a pivotal point last year in his career, whether or not he was going to be a CB1 or a CB2. And I think that he has really come along and now he's starting to find the ball better than he ever has before. He's very comfortable. He's confident. He's aggressive to it. And, we're seeing the best of Carlton Davis right now. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Yeah, yeah. maybe it's because maybe it's because he uh, he switched his number to you know honor Kobe. Maybe, maybe that's it. yeah, could oh, be man, could be man. I, I don't know about you guys, but every time I see Carlton Davis wearing the twenty four, Darrell. No, I I <laughs> always think of Cadillac Williams uh, because because that jersey that's. It's that style of jersey. Yeah. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Like it's that. I'm, old I'm, I'm a bit too young for that. So okay, all right. So I'm 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 19. So I didn't okay. see a whole lot of cattle. <laughs> no, you, you're right. You wouldn't. But uh, yeah, every time I just want to say that. Like every time I see that 24 out there, I'm like, oh wow, Cadillac back or what? <laughs> the development of this young secondary has definitely been exciting to watch, and I think this whole defense, Trevor. I think you put out the tweet. 
they just swarm to the football so damn yeah. quickly. Like, what did you say? They're like hungry sharks about to feed. They're, it's Yeah, they're they're sharks with blood in the water. That's what I think. Now, this defense continues to shine. I'm expecting them to have a big game next week. But before we wrap things up, I think there's one guy that needs to be addressed. And I think we kind of have to give him a little bit of a break here. But I just wanted to bring him up because a lot of people are starting to point some fingers. And um, it's Mr. Shaq Barrett. Yeah, uh, I knew people to say this yeah yep, I yeah <laughs> i mean you expected it you know he definitely hasn't come out and performed like a lot of people expected him to especially after last season but it, it it also needs to be clarified that this time last year shaq barrett i'm pretty sure by himself had every sack that the bucks had right yeah he more sacks right now that i believe they did Carolina. last year at this point right yeah, he had three sacks in that one game versus Carolina and then had like three sacks in the next game versus the Giants. So his sacks really came in bunches. But I mean, you know, he sort of had a cold streak. I believe it was it was uh, the weeks like five to eight or so. Like, I don't think he had a sack. So like he was shut down for a little bit. I don't I don't think there's a worry about him well, going up against the Broncos as former team. He's going to get at least two sacks. We'll see. Oh, exactly. I think that's a bold prediction right there. But I just wanted to say that what I have seen of Shaq Barrett this season, he's doing a really good job of, of opening things up for other players on that defensive line. And I think that's more important than anything else, because as long as pressure's there, if other players are getting sacks, then I don't care. Everybody on that D line needs to eat, right? Yeah, I, I think that Shaq Barrett is a good football player. I think the the Bucks were really smart to franchise tag him this yep. past offseason because you can't let a guy like that walk, especially after, you know, the drought of sacks that you've had in previous seasons. You're not about to let the NFL's sack leader walk from your team. But at the same time, I think the Bucks recognize this too. Shaq Barrett's never going to get close to 19 and a half sacks again. You know, like that's that's just not even the kind of player he is. When you looked at a lot of the sacks that he had last season, there were a good chunk of sacks that were just simply effort sacks. You know, they were like quarterbacks holding on to it a little bit more than he should. The coverage is playing really well. Shaq's continuing to work. He might be not be going up against the best right tackle or left tackle, whatever the play was, and he'd eventually get to the quarterback and bring him down. Now, I don't want to take that away from him. He still did the work to get to that point to sack the quarterback, but this is not a 19 and a half sacks in a single season. That's Von Miller. That's Von Miller. JJ, JJ Watt was what I was going to bring up. You know, yeah. like that. Yeah, that, that's that's guys who consistently dominate one-on-one and can just rip by an offensive tackle and just immediately get into the pocket almost at will. Shaq's just not that guy. He's a good player. I think that he's got good moves to him. I think he's a smart player, but he's he's not going to be a 19-and-a-half sack guy again. I think that Shaq Barrett is always going to be or what you would, what the Bucks probably would like for Shaq Barrett to be is somewhere between eight to twelve sacks a season. If they get that Shaq Barrett for the next shoot, two years, maybe three years, whatever it is, I mean, like they will be super happy about it. But they were not about to sign Shaq Barrett coming off of a nineteen and a half sack season because the number that he he could have commanded, which I'm sure he did, because that would just be good on him and his agent, was just it, it's not going to be replicated for this team. I think his presence is good. Now, I haven't gone back and I haven't looked at the All-22 and really focused on Shaq Barrett yet in 2020. But from what I've seen live, I mean, he's doing fine. He's he's creating good pressure. He's solid in his one-on-one stuff. But he's not just like this elite dude who's destroying right tackles. And he wasn't going to be that. And so when people point out and they're like, wow, where's the sacks for the guy who had almost 20 sacks last season? It was never going to be that this year. I, I really mm-hmm. do think that Shaq 
is more of like an eight to 10 sack player for this team. But if he is, that's fine. That's like mm-hmm. what they need him to be. Anything yeah. else after that is just a bonus. And so I really do think that this is not surprising. This is not a shock, really, what, what what's going on here. And you also knew that, okay, Drew Brees, one of the smartest quarterbacks in the NFL, got the ball out of his hands extremely quick, quickly, mm-hmm. and he was playing behind one of the best offensive lines in the league. Carolina, Joe Brady-style as offensive coordinator, along with Teddy Bridgewater-style quarterback, you know that they were trying to get the ball out quick. It's not like they're trying to hold it on forever and wait for long developing routes deep down the field. That's just really not their game. And so this wasn't really a formula for Shaq to succeed. I would think this Denver matchup, especially Mm -hmm. if Drew Locke would have been in there, this would have been the game you would have at least seen one sack, maybe like Evan said, two from Denver from, or from Shaq Barrett in this upcoming week. But with Jeff Driscoll there now, are they going to do more of a quick hit offense? I'm not really sure. But these next two weeks, I think Denver and Los Angeles, he should Shaq should come away with at least two sacks over these next two weeks. And I think that people are going to calm down a little bit on him. Yeah, and I mean, two points I had really quick before we end this. Uh, one, I mean, there was a reason your your former uh, your former boss, Scott Reynolds, picked Jason Pierre-Paul to be the sack leader this year. And right now, Pierre-Paul, I believe, has two sacks on He's the got season. Two. Yep. Yeah, so I be, he did not pick Shaq Barrett. He picked Jason Pierre-Paul to have the, the, the sack lead. And, I mean, you know, I didn't expect 19 and a half sacks either. I think that's really unfair. Um, a guy that had, I believe, four sacks the year before or something like that and then got yeah. 19 and a half. Like, it's really unfair to expect that all of a sudden. So I, I agree with you. If, the, if they can get... If he can just get, yeah, nine and a half, ten sacks a year, I think the Bucks are plenty happy with that because based on how their pass rush is, it, they don't have that one guy. They have a bunch of guys that are going to get, it seems like, maybe seven, eight sacks. I know they blitz a lot, but, like, J.C. Pierre-Paul is going to get his. And then, you know, they hope that Shaq Barrett's good enough to get his, and then the Dominican Sue can clean up a little bit and Vita Vey can clean up a little bit. Um, the thing I've noticed that with they're putting Barrett out in coverage a lot. And I think it's because they're blitzing the linebackers a ton. But like last week in New Orleans, Shaq Bear was on like in like the flat with Kamara a lot. And I just obviously that's not an ideal matchup. And obviously with Christian McCaffrey, it wouldn't be an ideal matchup either. So I think this week, maybe you'll see a little bit less of that. And I think this, I mean, this Denver offensive line is just bad. Um, so I think Shaq Bear, I think they're just going to let him kind of try and tee off on a, a you know a quarterback that's not very good and may make a mistake that isn't characteristic of a starting quarterback so um yeah I'm not worried about Shaq and he's gonna be fine and yeah we'll, we'll see you know I think he's gonna get hot here coming up I, I obviously he's not gonna get three sacks I think in a game anymore I just I don't think that's that's hey, realistic but you, you never I mean know, yeah, dude. You, you I don't know, know. I, it would have to, it would have to be the perfect storm but I do agree with Trevor these two games coming up Denver, L.A., I think it's a it's a big opportunity. Absolutely. It'll be interesting to see how this team adapts week to week. Important game against Denver next week. That's a busted up roster. We're going to preview that game for you guys on Thursday. But in the meantime, Trevor, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show with us and giving us some more level-headed analysis because Lord knows Bucks fans need that as much as possible, especially this season of all seasons. So, ladies and gentlemen, Trevor Sikama joining the show. Trevor, how can people find you in your awesome content? Yeah, uh, you, well, one, I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Always enjoy talking ball with you gentlemen. Uh, at Tampa Bay Trey, easiest way to 
find all my stuff. That's on Twitter. And then uh, draftnetwork.com is the best place to find all the stuff that I'm writing and all the podcasts I'm doing over there. And I know we talked a little bit before the show, but me and Evan both have a lot of fun on the mock draft machine. Is there any nice? Is there any teasers you guys have coming up on that? Because I know there were some maybe stuff in the works. So we recently upgraded the mock draft machine. If you are a premium subscriber to the draft network, you can now do all kinds of trades. There's improved trade logic and also the computer can now offer you trades it's it's a it's a really yeah cool i didn't realize that the, that the computer could trade with each other because yeah. i was like oh they wow. traded back right in front of me <laughs> yeah yeah so it, it makes it makes it a very cool live draft experience and uh i'm not allowed to say anything official but all i'm saying is is that if you are a tdm premium subscriber and you like using the mock draft machine just wait just wait a couple of months to see what we have cooking up because we're about to blow your mind and we're about to make this mock draft machine everything that you could ever want it's i'm so excited about the changes that we have coming up for it so i can't say anything official but that'll be my little teaser for what's there coming you up. go oh man well we're definitely looking forward to it so ladies and gentlemen that's just about going to do it for this episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Thank you to Trevor for jumping on with us. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for checking the show out with video on YouTube or listening on any of our major podcast outlets as well where it's available. You can find the show on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those are Cannon Fire Podcast. Basically the best way to catch up with updates on the show and anything else you need to know, Buccaneer News oriented. You can follow myself on social media, Instagram, and Twitter. Both of those are Redicus follow me i promise i'll follow you back and last but not least you can follow my co-host evan on instagram at bucks underscore daily and on twitter at evan nfl as i said earlier we'll talk to you guys thursday previewing the denver game definitely an interesting one and the buccaneer is going to be rocking the pewter so very very excited for that i am rent matthew signing off for evan wanish and our special guest trevor sikama we'll talk to you guys thursday thanks for listening go bucks Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.